0: Easter everyone. I want to welcome everybody here to Elevate Ministries, whether you're in the building. How many in the building today? Or if you're watching online, we just want to welcome you in. We're so glad, happy that you've joined us uh, this Easter Sunday. I just want to mention to you that the mission of Elevate partners with the mission of Jesus, which is to go into all the world, baptize those who believe in, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And what you just saw was a video of us working on that mission. And I just want to let you know that we do have Baptism Sunday next week. And I saw a bunch of people signed up and, and, and really excited about seeing them get water baptized. If you haven't been baptized since you've believed, you want to make sure that you make that your priority. Next, next Sunday, uh, sign up at the welcome kiosk and uh, be a part of that. Amen. At Elevate Ministries, our mission is to change our world one person at a time. Our vision to do that is each one of us, we reach one, each one teach one, and each one unleash one. And if you're here this morning, you've either joined in on that mission or you're being invited into it. We just want to let you know that you're welcome. If you're here for the very first time, we just want to thank you for coming and joining with us on this Easter Sunday, and we want to encourage you to build the kingdom of God together with us. We're here to take the world for Jesus and make a different with difference with our lives. It's the only thing that you can give your life to that has eternal benefit. Can somebody say amen? And so we're excited that you're here. My name's Adam Friedrich. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Ministries. And I just want to welcome you personally here at Elevate Ministries. If you have a child, you can we can go ahead and release those to the to Sunday school. They're already started across the street, having a great time over there. And uh, we'll get right into it this morning. Um I, I just wanna I just want to start this message by saying that this message is is called greater than and and what I want to say is that there's no sin that's greater than the mercy of God is a celebration for a believer and so every Sunday is Easter Sunday for someone who's a believer. We never cease worshiping the risen king, and so we worship like this every single week. Every Sunday we come and we lift our hands and we, we worship God. And, and I, I was thinking about the, the resurrection story this week, and I was reminded of the, the women who went to the tomb and they were looking for Jesus. They were, they were looking for the body after he had been crucified, and some angels came and appeared to them and said, "Why do you seek the?" living amongst the dead, he's not here. And I just, it just kind of hit me that our world is, is kind of doing the same thing that these women were doing. Our world is so busy going here, there, and everywhere. Did you notice this just this past weekend, all the traffic, everybody going every which way, getting out of town, enjoying spring break, hitting up the baseball game, just so many things going. But, but I want to tell you today that you are the smartest people on this Easter Sunday because you're looking in the right place. You're looking in the right place. You're, you're looking for, for, for the risen Savior, and you're in the house of God. No better place to be than in the house of God. So thank you for being with us this morning. Our text is Matthew 26, Matthew 26, beginning with verse 36. And I'm going to minister just for a few moments if I can. And the story here in, in verse 36, the Bible says that Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, and he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply depressed distressed then he said to them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death stay here and watch with me and he went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed father if it's possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will and then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping once again and said to Peter what could you not watch with me for for one hour Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many know that's true? Amen. Verse 42, again, a second time he went away and he prayed and said, God, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, then your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, he went away, and he prayed the third time and said the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's get going, my betrayer is at hand. I I came today to tell you that there's no sin that's greater than the cross, and the cross greatly removed sin. The title of this message is Greater Than. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about temptation, I'm going to talk to you about sin, and I'm going to talk to you about mercy. Temptation, sin, and mercy. And I know a lot of churches won't be talking about temptation and sin on Easter Sunday, but you're at Elevate Ministries, and we do things a little bit different here. I, matter of fact, I thought I heard some keys start to jingle, some people planning to leave. Like, why did we, I knew we shouldn't have come to this place. I, why, why, we shouldn't have been here today. But I'm going to talk to you about temptation, sin, and mercy. And probably some parents are thinking, "Well, I hope he talks about video games for my teenager." And and uh, some of us are, are 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 thinking about different different sins and possibly we could talk about for the person that's with us today. But but I, as a pastor of over 20 years. I, I, I know that people get so stressed out about their sin, and, and what we do oftentimes is we compare our sin to someone else's sin, and we begin to think things like, well, my sin is worse than, than her sin, or your sin is worse than my sin, and, and what can begin to happen as we think about sin is we, as shame begins to mount, guilt starts to operate, and people get stuck and bound and can't see past where they are right now. And all of this makes it impossible just to get to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, and the gospel is simply this, is that we are all sinners. The gospel is simply is this, is that we all fall short. The Bible says that none of us are righteous. Not even one with an exclamation point. And you think about all the different men and women of the Bible, great men and women of God, somebody like David who conspired to murder. We're talking about a guy by, like Moses who actually did murder. Are you talking about Paul who oversaw the stoning of the first Christians? Those guys did that and God still used them. You ever thought about that? I mean, I mean, chances are in this room, you've never murdered someone. Right? I mean, I guess in a room like this, you never know. So even if you did, so did Moses, all right? But I think we get so stressed out about our failures that we don't have... God's perspective when it comes to our sin, the Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 11, that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. And I think sometimes we can read familiar passages like this, but we don't have revelation about them. We don't really think about what that means for us, but that word transgression in this scripture, that word transgression is used 93 different times in the Old Testament, and that word means to rebel, it means to revolt, it means to break away from, it means to quarrel with, and hidden inside that definition is this idea of expansion or growth. And what that tells us is that transgressions aren't static, What that means is that they don't just stay in the same place. Transgression or sin grows. I think you can recognize that in your own life. Ever notice how sin, it never just stays the same. It never just stays with that one little thing. It always progresses. Sin always progresses. Matter of fact, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. Because sin, inside of its, inside of the word transgression, has this picture of growth. And what begins as a small transgression, if it's left uncontested, it'll end up controlling your life. I think many of us would recognize that, and we've seen that in our own lives, how sin ends up destroying families. It ends up destroying destiny. Sin is so destructive. You can see this idea in Romans chapter 5, where the Bible says that just as sin, as one man, sin entered the whole world, and death came through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so when you look at that scripture, you realize that sin moved from one man to all men. It's it's this picture of progression how it expands from one from one family down throughout the entire all generations and I think when you think back to the first original sin it took place in the garden and and you you recognize that God gave Adam and Eve a life of ease he placed them in perfection he gave them an entire garden he gave them dominion over everything but in Genesis chapter 2 God spoke to Adam and Eve said Everything in this garden you can freely have, you can freely enjoy, except for the tree in the middle of the garden, that is reserved for me. I'm going to ask you to refrain from it. Don't touch it or you will die. This was a commandment from the Lord. It wasn't a suggestion. It was, it was the God's, God's, God's instruction to them. He's saying, I'm going to set this apart. I want you to refrain from this one thing. This is going to be just and right. This is my instruction. And then what happens is enter the tempter. The tempter comes in Genesis 3 and the Bible says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast which the Lord had made and he said to the woman, Did God really say, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And then the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, you shall not touch it, or you will die. Now, here's what I want you to recognize is Eve knew what God said. I want you to see that. Eve knew what God said, but she's still entertained. She's still having a conversation with temptation. Here's the thing you need to grab a hold of. If you tolerate temptation, you will eventually give in to it. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate of it and she gave some to her husband and he ate of it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew, what, knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, here in this, this text, we get a picture of, of temptation and sin. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about temptation. What is temptation? Temptation, to tempt, means to make a trial of a thing or a person. And so the tempter comes to try a person. The tempter comes to, to test a person. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. I want you to look at this. It says, consider it joy... Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, this scripture is a different uh, um, perspective of temptation than we usually think about. Are you seeing that? Because usually when we face a temptation or when we face a trial, what we want to do is we want to tap out as soon as possible. It'd be like it'd be like imagine a UFC fight where the bell sounds and the fighters come out and, and, and one fighter begins tapping out immediately. And the, the reason he doesn't want to get he, he, well, the reason he's tapping out is because he doesn't want to get punched in the face. Like he doesn't want to go through any sort of trials. But but here James is saying, consider it joy when you're being tested or when you're facing trials. There's something imperfect in you that God's trying to make perfect through trials. Are you seeing that? But the tempter is so wicked. When you think about temptation, it's such a wicked thing because the enemy will attempt to to tempt you with something and then what he'll do is accuse you of the thing that he tempted you with. I want you to grab a hold of this. Revelation 12, 10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and that he accuses day and night. That is what he does. He brings temptation over and over again. You see it in the story of Job. The Bible says that that the Lord said to Satan, have you thought about or considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And, And Satan's response was this. Well, the only reason he's like that is because you protect him. The only reason Job is like that is because there's a hedge of protection around him. Verse 10, you put a hedge around him, around his household and everything that he has. You've blessed the work of his hands. His flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and take away what he has. And look what he says, surely Job will curse you to your face. Now that's quite an accusation. I and mean, that's quite an accusation against the servant of God. In other words, Satan was saying, hey, Job, you think, God, you think Job is upright. He's a great guy, but really his heart is wicked. Really, the only reason Job serves you is because of what you do for him and what you provide for him. If you take that away, he's going to curse you to your face. He's accusing Job of what he's about to tempt him with because in the very next chapter, his wife comes to him and says, are you still maintaining your integrity? And she looks at her husband, Job, and says, curse God and die. I think, I think, I think we don't look at temptation like that. But, but many of us don't under, understand what temptation really is because temptation is not sin. And that might ruffle some feathers. That might ruffle some feathers this morning when we say temptation is not sin. We'll prove it with scripture in a minute. But the but reason it might ruffle some feathers because it bothers religious people because they love to think that they're better than others. Okay, You know what I'm talking about? They, 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 they look at their lives and think, well, my sin's not as bad as, as someone else's sin. They love to talk about all of the different abominations of some people and then neglect to think about the abominations in their own life. In other words, they'll talk about everyone else and all of their, all of their, their ills, but, and forget that Proverbs 6 says that gossip is an abomination. Like they conveniently exclude the sins that they partner with and enjoy. But I wanna tell you today, temptation is not a sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He was without sin, but we know in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted. Jesus was, in, was tempted, the Bible says, in all points. In every way, yet without sin. So what that means is you can be tempted and not sin. Come on. The accuser, though, what the accuser will do is try to get you to identify with your temptation. So then what I'm tempted with becomes who I am. Are you seeing what I'm saying today? If he can get you to identify with your temptation, then you'll embrace it. And all the while, the original temptation was never sin. So the enemy tries to use temptation to bring discouragement, especially to the people of God. He'll try to convince you that you're not delivered because you're still being tempted. Let me just tell you when you won't be tempted any longer. When you go, be, go see Jesus. All right? And and can I tell you why you are tempted? Because you're human temptation is not sin and so the enemy tries to get people discouraged because of their temptation when actually you shouldn't be discouraged you should be encouraged because because that temptation is doing something on the inside of you amen if you could just recognize that satan's trying to get you to embrace it and if instead you could straight arm that devil and just kind of push him to the side see people get frustrated and and discouraged because you experience freedom or you experience a moment of deliverance and then all of a sudden that temptation begins to, tends to come back and you begin to get discouraged and think well maybe I'm still that way and maybe I'm the way I, I, I've always been this way hold up temptation's not sin you're not bound someone needs to get free in here this morning Just because you're tempted with something doesn't mean you're bound. Are you you hearing me today? You believe you're still bound because you're still tempted. That's a lie from the pit. He can tempt you all he wants. Amen. But let me go back to that verse in Revelation. The Bible says that the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them day and night, look what it says, has been hurled down. That tempter has been thrown down. Don't let that accusation or that temptation discourage you think about david it's interesting when when david went out to fight goliath uh, he took five stones and and a lot of theologians talk about this and and they have conversation around this and they believe that he took five stones because goliath had had four other brothers and 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 then we know that Dave, the story david takes him out with one stone and then he marches up to goliath and he cuts his head off all right and 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 why would he do that you know, think, why? Why would think, why would he do that? Well, I think the reason he did that is just in case another giant about the same height sounded similar to Goliath and maybe looked like Goliath, he'd be able to hold up the head and say, I got four more stones. I, I got four, I've already defeated this one. I've got more stones to, to defeat you. Listen, you should feel encouraged when you feel tempted because the Lord who delivered you before, he can deliver you again. Somebody shout amen. Just because you're tempted does not mean you're bound. That should get somebody excited here this morning. The purpose of temptation is to get you to partner with it. The purpose of temptation is to get you to embrace that temptation so that it can become sin. James 1.14, the Bible says that each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when that desire conceives, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, in other words, it grows, it brings forth death. I want to talk about sin. In the Bible, there's two words that describe sin in the Greek and the Hebrew, and they both mean about the exact same thing. And, and, and what they mean is missing the mark, fundamentally missing the mark, not even aimed at the right target. That's what, that's what sin is. It's a, sin is a violation of God's standards. Sin is willfully doing what's wrong. Sin is actions that are contrary to the Word of God. Sin is purposeful disobedience. Is there any sinners in here this morning? Now, we don't like to talk about sin. I, most, most churches don't talk about sin at all. We, we don't like to hear about it because, and the reason I think a lot of churches don't wanna talk about sin is because we don't wanna make people feel uncomfortable. And so we, we allow people just to go to hell, but at least they're comfortable along the way. And so, so what you have is you've got a lot of churches that are really attractive. They're, they're super nice. They're as friendly as possible. We want you to enjoy yourself. We did all of this for you. And what can we do to entice people to come? You know what I love about Elevate? We didn't do anything special for you. We didn't do anything. There, there's no show. There's no there's no there's no egg drop 5000 eggs dropping from a helicopter. We're not doing that. There's no there's no Easter parade. We got we got nothing. What we did is we said, "God, what would you like us to speak about?" We we said, "God, well, what what songs do you want us to sing?" Because everything that we do here today is not for you. Everything that we do here this morning is for him. He's front and center. He's front and center. You think, well, I I just came to check out this. Well, we're checking you out. (laughs) Because you know what happens when churches are built around people and trying to please people? They couldn't survive things like COVID. They couldn't survive. Because they were more more afraid of a virus that that had a 99% survival rate than they desired to go to a church that was all for them. Did you hear that today? It's amazing when a church... Is built around the presence of God you you can't keep people away people always want to be there no matter what the government says no matter what the mandates are there's people that say you know what I won't forsake the gathering of the saints or the worshiping of God and so what's happened in our in the church world is we've decided we're not going to address sin in order to keep everybody in the room comfortable We're going to have the temperature just right. I won't talk about your sin. You don't talk about my sin. We'll all be lukewarm so he can spit us out of his mouth. But let me tell you something. When we neglect to challenge each other, we never develop that iron that sharpens iron. And you wonder how people can go to church year after year after year still struggling with the same sin over and over and over again. The reason is, is because you're never spiritually challenged. And because you'll never allow yourself to be challenged, you won't grow. You'll never become what God wants for you to become, which is more Christ-like. And addressing sin doesn't mean that you hate people. That's not what it means. Actually, it looks like love because you care enough about people to confront their sin. Because you can't conquer what you won't confront. Actually, I would argue that you don't actually really love people if you're, willing, if you're willing to allow them to unknowingly go to hell because you're not willing enough to have the hard conversations about sin and truth. See, we get this weird mindset. We face this too, that we have to somehow, we got to make church cool, and we got to make church acceptable in order for people to embrace it. But when I look at the Bible and I look at the stories of Jesus, do you ever notice how many people left Jesus constantly? They left him constantly. He talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, talking about a a future communion and disciples leave. A a rich young ruler, this greedy guy, comes up to Jesus and Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and and that guy leaves. We know that Judas, one of his 12 disciples, leaves him, uh, betrays him. Peter denies him. At the cross, the disciples all scatter. Let's be honest, things weren't looking good. But then you fast forward to us, and now all of a sudden, we think church is is meant to make everybody happy, keep everybody very happy. But let me tell you something. We've got to be willing to separate the individual that's struggling, that God loves, with the sin that God doesn't approve of. So we're unrelenting in our love for people, but we're unwavering in our loyalty to God's word. And here's what you need to understand on this Easter Sunday, 2023, is that everyone in this place has sinned. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all to have sinned means sin has grown, it has progressed to the point, it's immeasurably grown to the point where everybody in this room is a sinner. And so look at the person on your left and, and, and quietly tell them, you're a sinner. Go ahead. And the person on your right, tell them that they're a sinner. This room this morning is full of sinners. So I wanna talk about sin, can we talk about sin? Let's talk about sin today. There's, there's three temptations, all right, all right, all right. Sinner doesn't take that long, doesn't take that long. Listen, there's three temptations that produce three sins. There's three types of temptation that everyone in this room is going to experience in their lives and then all those temptations, those three areas of temptation will produce three sins and so all of our sin and there's so many different ones but they can be categorized into these three areas, you find this in 1 John 2 and the Bible says there that that for all that is in the world The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so these three temptations birth three distinct sins, and you can see them in three places in the Bible. You'll see them in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. You'll see them in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4. And you'll see them in the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. So I wanna talk about these three things and I wanna see if you can identify them in your own life. The first one is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is the wrong desires of the heart or, or sexual sin. It's the appetite in indulging in all things that excite us into sensual pleasures. All right, this is the lowest form of temptation. This is where Satan starts. So if you wanna know where your spiritual strength is, if this is one of your greatest temptations, know that it's the enemy's lowest form of temptation. It's where where he begins. And, And too many people never break free in this area. And let me show you why it's the lowest form of temptation. The reason is is because scripture relates lust to food. Because if you're undisciplined, you're going you're gonna to crave them both very much the same. So the first temptation of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 4, where Satan tells Jesus, tell these stones to become bread. And so you can see it's the lust of the flesh. It's what his flesh wants. He's, he hasn't eaten. He's fasting. And so Satan comes and says, tell these stones to become bread. It was food or sensual desires. In the original sin, the Bible says that Eve looked at the fruit and she saw that it was good for food. So the first temptation was was with lust of, of the flesh, food or sensual desires. Look how Proverbs 6 relates food to sensual desires. It says, a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread again in Matthew 5 6 the Bible says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled and so scriptures actually telling us that if we have a desire for God's Word if you have the same desire for God's Word that you have for food if you have the same passion for the Word of God as you do for food it'll help you with this temptation yeah. let me give you some practical advice one of the ways to overcome This sin of sensual desires is to feed your spirit every single day. This is why Jesus prayed, give us this day our daily bread. And that's why we don't just come to church on Sunday and think that's good enough. No, we meet with the Lord every single day. Why? Because our spirit needs it. Now, this may not sound very profound, but the reason why many people never ex- get, ex- get freedom from lust is because they've never been able to break into, like, a daily uh, Bible reading plan. They've never been able to daily spend time with God. And that's why here at Elevate we offer, we offer that for you, a, a daily Bible reading plan, because it's so important for you to feed your spirit so you won't give in to the lust of the flesh. Amen. Some people, don't, some people want to read the Bible every day but don't know where to begin. So our plan offers a, a, a piece from the Old Testament, the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. So that every single day you can feed your spirit and strengthen your spirit so that you don't give in to the temptation of the flesh. Amen. More, let me give you a little bit more advice. When you feel temptation of the flesh, get away from it. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It's saying, get away from it. Get away from it. You can see this example in Genesis 39 where you have Joseph. He's, he's a dreamer. He's, he's, he's actually a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And we know that his brothers were jealous of him. They planned to kill him. They threw him in a pit. But instead of of, of killing him, they they sold him into slavery hoping to never see him again. It was then he began to work for a man named Potiphar and and because there was a favor of God on his life, God exalted him to the first in the house. He he, he, he took care of everything. He was promoted even even in slavery, it's amazing. So he ends up becoming first in command and the Bible says in, in Genesis 39:10 10 that, that Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph day after day, but he refused to go to bed with her or even be near her. Verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none in the household was inside. And so she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Listen, this is the strategy for dealing with the lust of the flesh. Get away from it. This means don't respond to that person on Facebook, that old flame that you went out to, went out with in high school, you 40 year olds. Don't respond to that. Don't respond to that. That means don't don't tolerate that casual flirting in the office. That That means avoid that person's desk when the tractor beam of temptation is trying to pull you in. Do you know what I'm talking about today? It means don't watch that series on TV that's full of nudity and lust. All of you Game of Thrones people, when there's flesh involved, get away from it. I got real quiet on Easter get away from it let, let, me, let me give you some more practical advice expose that temptation before it grows expose it before it grows if you hide your sin it will ruin your life did you hear that today if you it's a mistake to try to deal with it on your own the Bible says that one puts a thousand to flight two puts 10,000 to flight if you expose the temptation listen listen you you can get rid of it a lot easier Don't be a punching bag to the enemy. Don't try to fight temptation by yourself. Husbands, if you're struggling, tell your wives. But if I tell her, if I tell her, I tell her she's she's gonna be mad at me. Listen, you're not telling them to hurt them. You expose it so it doesn't have a grip on you any longer. Come on, you can expose it. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Come on, did you hear that today? Second temptation is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is greed or covetousness. And what that means is simply this, you want what other people have. That's all it is. Your your eyes are delighted by riches or possessions. This is an easy trap to fall into especially here in Southern California. It's, it's the outward things that begin to excite us. It's the outward things that begin to inflame us. The lust of the eyes, it becomes sin because what we're doing is we're not trusting God enough with our own lives, so we're jealous of others and what they have. We're not trusting God that he will provide. We're, we're jealous of what everybody else has. Do not covet is actually one of the 10 commandments that you can find in Exodus chapter 20. And so the enemy attacked Adam and Eve with this in Genesis chapter 3. And and the Bible says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, she took it. It's the lust of the eyes. Then he tempts Jesus with the same thing in Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says that the devil took Jesus on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. This is where the devil tempts Jesus with all of the kingdoms. This is a very difficult temptation for a lot of people. Many people end up living their entire lives for stuff that will burn, they'll give their entire life for temporal things that they can't take with them. You know, just recently, my wife's aunt passed away. And as she was going into the hospital, basically she was in the later stages of treatment, very, very sick. She was going into the hospital and she was faced with the reality that she was dying and and she said these words. She says, I'm gonna have to leave all of my things. You see, I think the greatest lie is you'd just be happy if you had this. Like the greatest lie is if I could just get a bigger house, if I could just get an upgraded car, an upgraded ring, if I could just go on that vacation or get that vacation home, if I could just get this, that, this, that, or the other thing, well, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be happy. And so you end up living your life simply just to upgrade. But haven't you noticed that every time you finally get that new thing that you thought would make you happy, the same void that you had all along is still there. Have you noticed that? Because the lust of the eye, it's a a distraction. And it's distracting you from one thing. It's trying to keep your eyes off the only thing that matters and the only thing that works. And that is Jesus. It's trying to keep your eyes off Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's why it's so beautiful what happened here at this church two weeks ago. Where we brought a heart for the house sacrificial offering. And so many families sacrificially gave of their, uh, uh, of their income to, to toward the house of God. And it was a tremendous, tremendous experience. But, but this is a temptation that a one-time t- offering will not fix. It's got to be a lifestyle that we guard our heart from the lust of the eye or the comparison of others. Matthew 5, 29 says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. The lust of the eye. It's a terrible thing. The third one is the pride of life. The pride of life. The pride of life is the person that says, I don't need God. The pride of life is the person that says, I don't want God. The pride of life says, I'm a self-made God. It's a rejection of God. It's something we're seeing all throughout our society today. Have you noticed? You see this temptation with Adam and Eve in the garden where the Bible says that that, that, that the tempter says, if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will know good from evil. We see it again in Matthew 4. The devil took Jesus up into a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands it will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. the, the, The pinnacle of the temple represents spiritual pride because all high places are slippery slopes. It makes you a target when you place yourself up. Pride is the greatest sin. Why? Because pride keeps you from repenting of any sin. James 4 says that God opposes the proud. What does the word oppose mean? Oppose means the tip or the point of a spear and basically it's this picture that those who live in pride are on the opposite side of the lord's spirit. Listen, if you're on the opposite side of the lord's spirit, you are on the wrong side. So that lo- those that live in pride, those that that operate in the pride of life end up living as enemies of God. Listen, pride is why Satan fell from heaven. That's why he took two-thirds of the angels with him. He got tired of sharing God's glory. He wanted his own glory. The Bible says in Isaiah, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Satan fell from heaven because of his pride. Pride always leads to destruction. Proverbs 16 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So when we're talking about sin, whether we're talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, I don't want you to get discouraged. And this message isn't to make you sad or make you feel shame or guilt, but I want you to see how sin grows. I want you to see how sin progresses. That when you give sin a small little foothold, it can take off, it'll it'll, it'll cut all through your life and into your family and into generations that follow. And you may be thinking, Pastor Adam, why are we talking about sin on Easter Sunday? Yo, I'm in my spring clothes. We're taking family pictures that day, we're having a nice meal, why are we talking about sin? Listen, not talking about sin doesn't help us. It actually hurts us. But I wanna tell you today, Jesus is not intimidated by our sin. We can bring our sin to Jesus. We can bring our sin to the cross. And we can stop sin from expanding. We can stop sin from growing. We can stop sin from affecting those around us. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's this mix, misconception that, that you come to Jesus once you get your stuff in order. Like you gotta kinda put things back together that when you're finally good enough or, or when you're not that bad, well then you come to Jesus. And we do these weird math equations in our head. And I think all of us have done them. We begin to think, well, have I done more good than bad? We begin to look around and, and, and say, well, I guess I'm a good person because I've done more good than bad. Or, or maybe you look at your life and say, man, I've done more bad than good, so I'm trying to kind of even the playing playing field, even it out so, so the good outweighs the bad. And, and, we, and we're waiting to get to the place that maybe we, we could be good enough that God would accept us. But I wanna tell you something, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The Bible says that while we were sinners, in other words, when we were in the middle of our sin, I'm talking about remember when you were a drug addict. I'm talking about the worst of who you are. I'm talking when you were, you, when you were living with that person you weren't married to, when you were addicted to that substance. When you are at your lowest point, at your lowest state, the Bible says that Jesus meets you there. He rescues you there. He saves you there. Listen, He doesn't rescue you when you don't need rescuing you any, any longer. He, he doesn't rescue you when you've got it all together, no. He doesn't rescue you when, you, when, it's, when you're good enough. He came at our worst moment. He took the worst of who we are. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me give you the bad news. At your best, you're still a sinner. But the lie of the enemy would say that your sin is greater than his mercy. Your sin, the lie of sin is that your sin is greater than his mercy. But Romans 5 20 says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Your sin is great, but he is greater. Your sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Let me tell you, there's no sin too great. There's no sin that's greater than his mercy. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care about that religious math equation you got going on in your head. My Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. His mercy is greater than your sin. And so you have this picture that we read about earlier of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And it's interesting that right before he goes to the cross, he goes to the garden. Well, why did he go to the garden before he went to the cross? Why did he pray three times in the garden before he went to the cross? Could it be that Adam and Eve, who gave into temptation, who were overcome by temptation, who partnered with sin, it all happened in, in a garden. And their sin that took place in the garden was passed down from one generation to the next. It's gone through all of mankind. It came all the way to you. It came all the way to your family. Could it be that because of the sin that caused Adam and Eve to be removed from the garden, that caused Adam and Eve to be removed from God's presence, could it be that Jesus had to go back to the garden and overcome what man could not do on its own? So Jesus goes back to the garden, and three times when he's feeling temptation, and three times when he's feeling that pressure, and three times when his flesh wants to give it, he says, not my will. He says, your will be done. See, sin grew through a garden. So Jesus goes back to the garden, and he begins to prepare it for mercy. There is no sin greater than the mercy of God. The Bible says he takes your sin And he throws it as far as the east is from the west. And I want to tell you today, maybe your sin has spread from you into your family. Listen, his mercy, the Bible tells us, it spread the length of the earth from continent to continent. Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his his love for those who fear him. As far as the east, come on, picture it in your mind, is from the west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. His mercy is greater than your sin. One last scripture. Please focus your eyes on this text, Ephesians 2. God is so rich in mercy. And he's loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead see, that's what Easter is all about. It's that. We're all sinners. Every one of us. There's no one in here that can, we, we try to. We, we, we try to measure up and we look around and we try to measure ourselves against everyone in this room. Let me tell you something. There's only two types of people in this room. There's sinners damned and sinners saved. That's it. That's all you got in this room today. Sinners facing judgment, and sinners free for eternity. Sinners damned, sinners saved. I, I want to tell you something. I, I remember I gave my life to Christ. I was just a teenager. And I gave my life to Christ. And I had tried. I tried to do do the, 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 the Christian thing. I had gone to church. My parents were the pastors of the church. I, I lifted my hands. I prayed at altars like this. I said the sinner's prayer, I repeated it so many different times. I I actually tried, I, I told myself, I'm never doing that sin again. And just to find myself a few days later doing the same thing again, I would try to will myself to being obedient to God's word. I couldn't do it. I tried, I'd grit my teeth and try harder. And every time I was so ashamed because I just couldn't seem to break the cycle of sin. In my own strength, it was impossible. But I wanna tell you something, I gave my life to Jesus. I bowed my knee on a bull arena, fake green grass carpet. And I cried aloud to God, I said, God save me. I made a decision to serve him for for the rest of my life. I got up that day and I was never the same. The evidence of my life from pre that moment to post that moment is, is, is entirely different. And I wanna wanna tell you today, listen, some of us in this room, we want to do what's right. We know sin is bad. We don't wanna give in to temptation. But listen, by yourself, you'll never be able to defeat it. We were dead because of our sins, but God in his great mercy, his mercy is greater than our sins, gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. You see, when I bowed my knee, what I was saying is, God, I give up, take over. And in that moment, the blood of Jesus washed my sins fresh clean. In that moment, the living God entered my heart. And I want to tell you something, I've never been the same. Something came alive in me. There was a power that I didn't know existed. All of a sudden, the things that, 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 the, the things that tried to come at me, I, I all of a sudden had power to overcome. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean that that I, I don't make mistakes and I don't transgress. doesn't mean I don't get tempted. All those things are true. But that transgression doesn't have the power to grow in my life anymore because I simply trust in Jesus. I simply repent of my sin and God, rich in mercy, forgives me, cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Gosh, that's available to you today on this Easter Sunday that's available to you. That mercy for your sin is available today. How many want that mercy? How, how many want that mercy? Come on, let me see your hands. All of this room, I want that mercy. I need that mercy. How many need that mercy? Come on, come on. Maybe you're here today and you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna give him my life, which includes all of my sin which includes all of my guilt, which includes all of my shame, all of, my, all of the lust of the flesh that I'm living with, all of the lust of the eyes and the covetousness that I live with, all of the pride that holds me back, all this stuff I'm living with, I'm gonna give that to Jesus today. And I'm gonna make, he's gonna make an exchange with me. He's gonna take that, that sin, which is producing death in my life and death in my family, he's gonna exchange it for life brand new life the bible says that anyone who repents of their sin becomes born again born again means you start over fresh slate you're a new creation the old stuff passed away all things become new is there anyone here today you'd say you know what that's what i want Let me see your hand all over this room. I see that hand and that hand right there. Come on, all over this place. That's what I want. I want new life. I want new life. Anyone else? All the way in the back. I see that hand. You can put it down. Thank you. Anyone else? All over this place. Right back here. Right back here. Lift it up high so I can see it. It's hard a little bit with the lights. Yeah, I see those hands back there. Two hands right there. Thank you for that. God bless you guys. Welcome to the family of God. Today's going to be the best day of your life. Anyone else? All over this room. You'd say, that's me. I want life. I want life. I'm tired of of trying to do this on my own. I need Jesus. If that's you, let me see your hands. You'd say, that's me. I need Jesus today. I need Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Right back there. Come on. Let me see that hand. Put it up high so I can see it. Come on. Right back there. Yeah. Listen, welcome to the family of God. Best decision you could ever make. I'm telling you right now, God's going to touch you today. You're never going to be the same. Anyone else? Anyone else? Front to back, side to side. Yeah, right there. God bless you. God bless you. It's a wonderful, wonderful decision you're making today. Anyone else? Come on. Maybe you've been around church for a long time, but you you, you just fallen away. You found yourself falling back into sin and falling back into temptation. You're doing things you never thought you'd do again. And you say, you know what? Today, I'm, gonna, I'm cutting it. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to Jesus. I'm going back to him. Maybe you've backslidden in your heart and you want, to, you want to start over. You want a new life again. You want that operating in your life. You're backslidden today. God wants to touch you. Anyone at all, you'd say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to turn it back over to him. Anyone at all, anyone at all. Come on, front to back, side to side. You know who you are. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Your knees are knocking. Yeah, everything's saying, don't do it. That's the perfect sign that you need to do it. Come on, come on. Right now, you'd say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm turning it back over to him. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Those of you that raise your hands, do me a favor. Just boldly stand up on this Easter Sunday. Come on. Come on down here with me. Come on down here with me. Come on. All the way in the back. Right here. Right there. Right. Come on down here with me. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray together. Come on. Let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. Uh, come on. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Come on, come on. Let's give the Lord some praise, can we? Ah, come on, what a... Listen, best decision, best Easter ever right here. It's the best Easter ever. I'm so, if I could only, it's so hard to put into words what happened in my life when I gave my life to Jesus. So hard to explain. I try, I do the best I can, but but you're looking around this room, there's so many people that have experienced new life. How many experienced new life in here? Let me see your hands, come on. It's hard to explain what Jesus does because everything you were created for happens when you give your life to Jesus. Until then, it's just like, you're just like, you're just kind of holding on for dear life. But let me tell you something, real purpose, real destiny starts to unfold when you give your life to Jesus, amen. God's gonna touch you today. He's already touching you, amen. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray a simple prayer and I'm gonna lead you in it, okay? I'm going, to speak it, I'm going to speak it out of my mouth. But listen, th- this prayer can't come from me. It's got to come from you. It's got to come from your heart. And it's got to come out of your mouth. Okay? And this prayer, what we're going to do is we're going to ask God to forgive us. What are we asking him to forgive us for? Our sin. Right? Our transgression. We're asking God to forgive us of that. And then we're believing that his sacrifice on the cross and the blood that he shed is more than capable of Causing our sin to be wiped clean. Do you believe that? Do you guys believe that when Jesus died he died for you and for your sin? That's that's the truth. And then we're also gonna believe that because Jesus rose from the dead He has power over sin and he has power over death. He has power over the grave We believe that as he rose we do too. And so now we rise to new life in him old things passed away all things become new. And so we're gonna trust that the resurrection of Jesus allows us to be arrested, resurrected, that we were once dead in our sins, but we're being made alive in Christ. All right, so this is Easter Sunday for real. And it can happen any day of the week at any time. But, but just so lucky for you, it's Easter Sunday, 2023, a day you'll never forget. Come on, let's, let's pray, you guys ready? You guys ready, come on, close your eyes. I want you to pray this out loud. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've sinned, I've fallen into temptation, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I repent today. I ask you to forgive me, and I believe that the blood you shed on the cross is more than capable to cover my sin. You paid a debt that belonged to me, thank you. I believe that you rose again. Come on, say it. I believe you rose again. And because you rose, I can have new life. Lord, come inside of my heart and change me from the inside out. I make a decision. From this day forward, I'm living for you. I'm serving you in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. really mean it now. Come on, like you really mean it now. Let's go. Let's go. Ah, oh, so good. So good. So, I'm so grateful that you made, that's not an easy thing to do, to step out in front of all these people and make that profession of faith, but I'm going to tell you something, best decision ever because you're not, you're not the same. You may not feel anything right now, but all of heaven is literally going crazy right now angels are dancing all of heaven is shouting they're looking down at you and, and here, here's what's happening your name right now your name that's why i asked you your name when you came your name is being written in the book of life yeah all the sin that all this sin that's been recorded all the things you've done wrong The book has been closed on all of that. Your name is now written in the book of life. And when God sees you, he doesn't see your your mess ups. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't even see your sin. Today, because of what you just did, Jesus looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus. (laughs) The righteousness of Jesus. Come on, God, we thank you today for salvation. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you, Lord, that even though our sin was great, your love, your mercy, your salvation is greater. And today we stand in freedom because of what you did. Come on, come on, because of what you did, we stand in freedom. Anybody free in this room, all of this place? Because of what you did, we stand in freedom. Come on, come on, sin was strong. Come on, sing it out.